Chapter thirty two of From Bangkok to Bombay, Siam, French Indochina, Burma, Hindustan by Frank G. Carpenter. This recording is in the public domain. Recording by Betty B. Husband Hunting and the Social Tug of War. The British in India are almost as provincial as the people of London and seem to think theirs is the only nation on earth at a dinner in government house at rangoon the charming lady beside me was the daughter of an important official and from the british standpoint well educated when she learned that i was from the united states she said she knew all about our country from her brother who had just traveled through it where did he go i asked he landed in montreal and rode for days across country to vancouver that is a big city the chief place on the west of your continent when he came back he stopped in another large place called chicago he visited most of the settlements of the united states and remained a long time in one at the north i wonder if you have ever heard of it he called it minnie something you must mean minneapolis said i i think so i knew it had something to do with fruit i did not say minnie apples but minneapolis yes i think it was minneapolis i know the first word was minnie is it much of a place whereupon i told her that minneapolis was one of the greatest cities of the world that it was the flour barrel of john bull and that it had been feeding the english for a generation or more at this she raised her eyebrows and i could see that she did not believe me my pride received another blow the other day when i spoke to a minor official of the wealth of our great west and referred to chicago and its big banking houses as i started the man interrupted me by asking in a surprised way and do they have banks in chicago as a rule the british officials in the indian empire are men of fine education most of them are graduates of oxford or cambridge and many are officers of the british army the majority come from the better classes of society and some from the nobility as to things indian they are well posted and nowhere will you find a civil service with higher standards the average official certainly knows his job yet he appears abysmally ignorant of things beyond it for example one day i was talking in calcutta with a prominent britisher with a sir to his name he was speaking of the enormous irrigation schemes of the british in india and then asked me if we had irrigated lands in the united states saying he could not see why a land so well watered should need them i described the rocky mountain plateau and mentioned the vast sums we have spent on reclaiming the western deserts i referred also to irrigation in canada especially to the great undertaking at calgary where the canadian pacific railroad turned the bow river upon fifteen hundred thousand acres of arid lands and made them yield like the fertile valley of the nile upon that the britisher exclaimed indeed i thought canada was a wet country fifteen hundred thousand acres i had no idea there were any such works in the world i wonder if you are certain as to your figures i know for i have been there said i and his excellency was polite enough to pretend to believe me the english have brought with them to india their love of sports every city has its clubs and the larger places have race tracks polo grounds and golf courses native teams sometimes take part in matches especially polo 
which originated long ago in india and is still supported by the rajahs and other wealthy indians every big army station has its polo grounds and every officer who can afford the sport has his polo ponies horse races are run with gentlemen riding their own mounts there is plenty of cricket and football and as for hunting that is one of the chief pastimes of the british the game available includes everything from elephants and tigers to wild fowl and hare the rajahs often organize hunts for their guests and to the man properly introduced in india every sort of diversion is open during the season there are dinner parties dances and private theatricals at all army stations it seems to me that on most matters of etiquette and dress society here is even more rigid than in london everyone who gives a dinner has to be careful how the guests are seated or else those who should be last may come first i have heard of one rajah who actually fainted because he was not placed as near the head of the table as he thought he should be the members of the indian civil service and the army officers rank at the top after them come the men of big business manufacturers lawyers planters and missionaries but not the shopkeepers who are of a class by themselves the military and the civil classes are always jealous of each other and every social center is a hotbed of their rivalries the position of a family is usually governed by the office held by the man of the house in the higher positions the salaries are ample enough for one to entertain comfortably but the military men are not so well paid as the civilians still as a rule the army officers have larger clubs more fun and less formality there are two social seasons in india one in summer when every one who can possibly afford to do so goes to the highlands especially to the summer capital simla and the other in the winter the winter season is so lively that it even attracts debutantes and post debutantes of great britain there is a constant influx of young maids and old maids several hundred well-bred girls coming out every year to stay with friends or relatives these girls have good letters of introduction which help them in the pursuit of husbands many of them i understand have been unsuccessful at home and have been sent to india as a last resort some succeed in marrying and remain those who have to go back still unwed are spoken of as returned empties it is said that at the first of each season a list of these invading army of husband hunters is made up by the gossips each girl is assayed and her record including the amount of her fortune if any is examined all this information is set down and secretly passed around to the bachelors of the military and civilian sets among the social features of every winter are the masked and fancy dress balls i attended one such ball held at government house in calcutta it seemed as if all the characters of the world had stepped from the pages of history and were going mad in the dance i noticed a convict in chains gliding across the floor with the sombre gowned sister of charity there was old mother goose with her broom and cocked hat arm in arm with a silk-clad chinese mandarin one girl was decked out as a carrier pigeon in a dress made of iridescent feathers another was labeled dresden china and a third was galatia one woman covered with native newspapers 
represented the press and editorials about the prevalent unrest could be read on her back and then there were burmese noblemen japanese daimyos and priests of every religion as i walked through the crowd observing the fresh rosy faces of the english girls i asked how they were able to keep their color out here in the tropics the reply was oh they spend nine months of the year in the himalayas and come to calcutta only during the winter some of them go home every few years leaving us men here to work i assure you india is not a bad place for a woman if she has an easy-going husband and money to spend they tell me that marriage is an expensive luxury in india especially in the cities house rents in calcutta are high an establishment of ten or twelve rooms in a good location costing about four hundred dollars a month a small apartment of six rooms rents for one hundred and fifty dollars fashionable couples must entertain a good deal and every wife must have her long summer vacation at darjeeling simla or some other hill station keeping house in india seems cheap until you understand the conditions servants get almost nothing in comparison with domestics in the united states one can hire fair cooks for ten dollars a month and housemen for seven the trouble is that mainly because of the caste rules the englishman has to employ a dozen servants in india where he needs one at home the man who serves at the table will not wash the dishes the man who washes the dishes will not make the beds he who makes the beds will not sweep the floor or bring water while the one who brings clean water will under no circumstances carry out the dirty water the cook will not clean the pots and pans and so it goes if you keep horses you must have a groom to each animal and a man to cut grass for every two mounts every child must have its own nurse the servants are nearly all men the women acting only as ladies maids and sometimes as nurses as to food it is expensive when the quality is considered meats are invariably poor and the fowl generally tastes like frayed rope eggs are occasionally fresh although little larger than the big white alleys with which i used to play marbles the ordinary meals here are tea bread and butter upon rising which is called chota hazri or little breakfast there is a second breakfast at about ten o'clock luncheon comes between two and three and dinner along about eight late in the afternoon everyone takes his carriage or motor and goes driving stopping at the clubs to listen to the music to meet friends and have tea one of the big items of expense in india is the commission one must pay on all he buys the ten per cent rake-off demanded by servants often comes to more than their wages if you order a cab your servant wants his commission and if the cabman takes you to a native merchant he expects to get his percentage on what you purchase the merchant makes his prices accordingly the cook gets a commission on all the food that comes into the house and the hostlers feed fat on your grass corn and oats it is the same with the butler he gets his tip from every native who calls upon you and if your major domo is not feed your caller may cool his heels indefinitely and you will not get his card in this connection i talked the other day with a british commissioner in one of the most important indian provinces said he my very doorkeeper makes money off my official callers 
when a native appears and asks to see the commissioner the doorkeeper will say that the sahib is busy the native knows what he means and he will drop eight anas or a rupee into his hand he is then introduced to the chief clerk and he may have to pay five rupees more before he gets farther if he does not offer to pay he will probably be told to call around tomorrow and it may be days before he can get in to see me we know what goes on but cannot prevent it very few natives are admitted to the circles of british society the average englishman regards the indian as an inferior and will not allow him to be a member of his club or to come to his house as a guest this is especially true of the middle-class british business men for the officials must not let their feeling of superiority become apparent not even parsees may become members of the bombay yacht club one of the finest clubs in the british empire it admits no indians not even highly educated rajahs and in fact i understand that no indian has ever been invited inside its big cool rooms it was the extreme exclusiveness of this club which is naturally somewhat offensive to leading indians that led lord willingdon a recent governor of bombay to found the willingdon club in this parsees hindus and moslems as well as englishmen are eligible for membership the british say that they are not wholly to blame for the social barriers between them and the upper-class indians with few exceptions the well-born indian ladies are purda and hence have no social contacts with men other than their husbands and members of their families furthermore the indians have as a rule such a poor opinion of women generally that the westerner does not care to expose members of his family to their contempt again while a high caste hindu may play bridge all night with a party of englishmen he hesitates to eat at the same table with them and if he does so usually performs ceremonial ablutions to make up for having broken the rules of his caste the anglo-indians or half-breed offspring of indians and europeans form a social class by themselves many are half portuguese others half french and others half british there are also indian mulattoes and octoroons but whatever the mixture of blood it is considered a disgrace by both native and foreigner and such persons are not received in either british or indian society there are about two hundred thousand anglo-indians many of whom are clerks some go into trade and make money and now and then one rises to distinction but always they flock by themselves having their own society with customs patterned after those of the british end of chapter thirty two end of from bangkok to bombay siam french indochina burma hindustan by frank g carpenter